Hello and welcome to the NFL Scotland podcast. Another week, another no-show by Cameron. His team may have won, he simply couldn't believe it, and he's been completely floored ever since. So as he builds his shrine to George Kittle, which increases by the day in his back garden, I'm joined by Charles Patterson and Gordon McGuinness to discuss everything of note from week 14 and look forward to week number 15. Gentlemen, good evening. What I have done is I've broken last week's games into the good, the average and the ugly. So we're quickly going to run through here. But I would like to start with an apology. And that apology is to Gordon. I said last week the Saints were the most injured team in the NFL. I firmly believed it. And in terms of position, I'm absolutely bang on. However, ESPN corrected me by saying that as of last week, Baltimore had lost 81 games from their starters compared to the Saints' 78. So, Gordon, you like, you you were like correct. correct. I do like. Yes, that. you were correct. I would say that we lost our quarterback, our number one wide receiver, our number one running back, but we're not going to go into that because we're going to touch on the Ravens and even more injury problems along the way. And we look forward to the COVID Bowl, the Tyler Huntley Bowl, call it what you will. The Ravens and the Packers go head-to-head this week. Charles and Gordon will be giving us their thoughts on that. We'll have the Loch Lomond Belter, the Bobags, Bobag. And here's something for you gents to think about. Who would you have play you in a movie? Because we had the Aaron Rodgers doppelganger at the weekend. And more importantly, who would you have playing Cameron Hobbs in a movie? I want to know that as well. We'll touch on that at the end. Right, the good, the average, and the ugly, because I want to talk about some of these games. So three categories. So I'm going to go with the ugly to start with. The three games you need not mention if you don't wish to and if you don't disagree with me. Saints against the Jets, that was ugly. 30 points to nine. And my streak of watching every Saints snap this season comes to an end. The Seahawks-Texans, ugly. 33-13 to the Seahawks. I'm amazed the Texans get so many empty seats to show up to these games. (laughs) And the Titans-Jags, simply not a game. The Jags are the Jags. Let's quote, and Cameron sent this in. Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer was asked about Andrew Sisko playing more again. He said, Sisko is playing a little bit more, I believe. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Sisko played zero snaps on defense (laughs) in that particular game. I saw saw someone tweet. Uh, I think there's a guy called Danny Kelly who I think works at the Ringer, and he said reporters need just to start now feeding them fake names. How, how do you think this player's doing? And see what response they get. Uh, that that is an experiment that has gone exactly as we expected in Jacksonville. I think it's probably the politest way to say it. You do wonder why they haven't actually pulled the trigger already, but maybe they're just waiting until January the 10th or whichever date it's going to be. I'm not sure. I mean, part of the problem, part of the problem may be um, the contract. You're never sure what's in the contract and what they might have to pay to get rid of them. But you never know. But here in episode 174 of the NFL Scotland podcast, the Jags still remain the Jags. So my average games. So the, these are the average games. Uh, Raiders nine, Kansas City forty-eight. Falcons Panthers because. It was the Falcons, Panthers. Uh, the Giants, Chargers nearly made it into the good, but I didn't think it was such Chargers beating the Giants easily. And there's more disquiet in New York. And the Bears, Packers, I'm putting into the average category simply because, Charles, you keep beating them. Where's the fun in that? Oh, it's terrific fun if you have a green and yellow jersey on. But then it's, it's the most predictable thing 
in the world. It's nice to it's it's nice to see though that Matt Nagy was having fun because he was quoted at halftime when obviously the Bears had played pretty well in, in the first half. He was quoted to the NBC sideline reporter saying, "I'm having so much fun." And then look what happened in the second half. <laughs> Green Bay ran away with it. I mean, it, he knows he is history. There's no doubt about it. He must know he is out the door the first day after week 18. The, the thing and that must frustrate him as well, though, is that like, so he knows he's going to be out the door. But Justin Fields looks like he could potentially be a pretty good quarterback in the NFL. So that must frustrate him. Like Fields is not like as a rookie, he's not been perfect. But the flashes you've seen from him as a head coach would make you think, I've got a guy here who might be good enough that it could really help me out. And he's just not going to see it. He's not going to see Justin Fields in years two or three, regardless no, I, of how he looks. I thought they played pretty well. I thought they were they were. I mean, they've got they've got playmakers there, and they've they, got they the pieces. With making it a good game. Yeah, I mean, it was really. I mean, the, the the um the NFL had taken a lot of slack for that game actually not being flexed out of the um, prime time window, and it turned out it was a for you know for thirty minutes it was a really competitive game. There were some fantastic big plays from both teams, but. At the end of the day, it's about good players and, and, a, and a good strategy. And Green Bay don't turn the ball over. And they haven't done, turned the ball over for the last decade, really. So as soon as you turn the ball over once or twice, then you're on a hiding to nothing. And it was it was a blowout without looking like a blowout. So I think that's fair enough to put that game in that category. <laughs> Just one last thought on the, the average games. In terms of the Bears quarterback situation, does that make the job more attractive, Gordon? You know, if there's going to be there's going to be several teams looking for coaches. Now, the fact that you might have a quarterback in the building and he's gone through his rookie struggles, does that make it more enticing? Absolutely. That, I mean, that's the single most important thing. You know, we talk about the Jaguars. The reason why Urban Meyer was interested in that job in Jacksonville was because he knew he was getting Trevor Lawrence as his quarterback. So if you're a if you're a head coach looking for a job. The Bears are a storied franchise. Okay, they've not been particularly good for a good while now. Um, what has it been? What, about 10, 10 plus years since that Super Bowl appearance? Yeah. But Justin Fields is a quarterback on a rookie deal who looks like he has the potential to be pretty good. That It might be the, the most attractive job out there for a head coach. The biggest problem is the fact they don't have a first-round pick. Yes. And I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of swither between the value of a first round pick um, and whether you've got more picks in rounds two, three, four, five, which is ultimately where your draft is won and lost. But whoever comes in there, assuming that Nagy does leave and the general manager might leave as well, Ryan Pace, they they will hopefully get a bit of time because the Chicago Bears historically give their coaches two or three seasons. They don't do one and done, which we do see other franchises. So there'll be, there is room to build there and they, they've got some key pieces there. They've got key pieces and the division is weak. The Detroit Lions are abysmal and Minnesota are inconsistent. Your, your, your number one job is to challenge and try and get a wild card. Don't forget, they were in the, the, he, he, Matt Nagy's not had a losing season. He's gone 12 and four, eight and eight, eight and eight. This is the first losing season he's going to have. So they're not complete duds. There is something there that they can work with. And if Aaron Rodgers moves on from Green Bay, it could be a decision as well. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll save that for another day. Right, the good. Uh, I thought the Steelings Vikings was interesting. Uh, I thought it was a decent game for Thursday night football. I put the Cowboys Washington football team in the good. Uh, the Cowboys winning 27 20 simply because I think 
Taylor Heineke makes Washington very watchable indeed. The Bills and the Bucks. Who wants to talk me through how the Bucks managed to squeak their way out of that one? They um, they kind of just about held on to survive and take it to overtime. They benefited from some questionable play calling, which actually the Bucks have been one of the like least beneficial teams on penalties this year. Because um, there's obviously a lot of conspiracy theories around. Oh, the team Brady's on gets all these calls. The Bucks haven't really this year. That was that was pass interference on Stephon Diggs in, in that yeah. final drive and regulation. And that that should have been. Um, and yeah, the Bills the Bills are such a weird team because they're what seven and six now. They're going to have to fight to get into the playoffs. If they don't beat New England, they're not winning that division. They've got three dud teams though to finish the season. Oh or, yeah, yeah, on paper. Yeah. Dud teams, but but if they don't beat the Patriots, they're not winning the division. Yeah, they're, they're a wild board, card. They'll be they're if, they're, the road. if they're if they're if they're on the road, they are a dangerous team that you don't want to face in yeah. the AFC. That, that's what I mean. Like they're they're hmm. weird because they've not impressed, but on paper, talent wise, they might be the only team in the AFC that can keep up with the Chiefs in a shootout. The biggest problem for Buffalo last year, and it's rolled on to this year, has been their inability to run the ball. And they suddenly seemed like they were able to run the ball in in the second half in Tampa. And you do wonder now it's getting colder. Now it's getting tougher for players' bodies. And, play, you know, it, it, we're at the end of it. And there's an extra game, of course. We're getting towards the end of the regular season, which has been as challenging for every team out there as, as you could muster. Whether if they can find a way to run the ball consistently, then they've got the beating of every team in the league. If they can just manage that, the, the biggest loss for them has been losing to Davis White in their past defense, but they've still got all their pieces really apart from him. So I don't see if they can just find a way to have a more consistent, balanced offense, then they've got a shot at it. Where, where they should run the ball more is kind of a bit of what they did early against the Bucks. It's Josh Allen. Hmm. Josh Allen as a runner, I think, is maybe a step away from what Cam Newton was like around about the time of his MVP year. He's a big guy. He's fast. He's not easy to bring down. Like very underrated athlete. Not one of these guys who's sneaky fast. He's fast. He will outrun some NFL linebackers and the Bills need to build that, especially even this, like you're not asking to build your offense around him running the ball over a full season where he's going to take a lot of hits. For like a postseason run, even just a couple of games, this game against the Patriots coming up and things like that, just give him 15 carries. And, you know, that should open up stuff in the running game. We've seen it in Baltimore. The reason why the Ravens have still been good still been good at running the ball and they're like top five in rushing this year, despite the fact they don't have any running backs or offensive linemen, is because of Lamar Jackson. If you have a rushing threat at quarterback, it opens up things on defense. I think the Bills should use Josh Allen to open up opposing defenses. And all of a sudden you're going to see running lanes for Matt Breida, for Devin Singletary. And I'd like to see the coach be a little less salty as well. He's been a bit bit of a naughty boy recently, uh, Sean McDermott. San Francisco against the Bengals, 26-23. That's a big win for San Francisco because the Bengals, again, seem to, you know, well, they do what the Bengals do. They impress you one week and then, you know, shoot themselves a foot in the other. But, I mean, he will get a mention when we come on to the Delta. But, I mean, George Kittle was, was incredible in the game. Ah, he's, he's phenomenal when he's fully fit. This is the thing. He's not been fit since the Super Bowl run. 
So he has turned. Uh, we we I talk week in week out here about Garoppolo and his flaws and then his good points. If you've got a safety blanket like George Kittle, then you're infinitely better as a quarterback. Um, the but it's it's his physical attributes that make him that good, and uh, ultimately. He, he will be the, the difference in terms of getting San Francisco to the playoffs, you would think. If that running game can continue to just bubble away, Kittle's the guy who can actually be the playmaker there. And But I think that they got out of jail a wee bit because Cincinnati, their comeback was terrific and they should have yeah. finished, they sh- they should have finished the, the deal there. They should have won that game. Yeah. I, I agree. The Rams cards, because I'm going to come back to the one other game, Rams cards, which I just finished watching not too long ago. It's the old story, you turn over the ball, you're going to get beat. I mean, I thought the Rams were pretty decent on defense. I mean, and Kyler Murray, I mean, two or three of the throws were utterly outrageous. But at the end of the day, you know, the Rams got points on turnovers and that was the big difference. But the question I want to ask you is, is one, one of the things they talked about, um, when they were down by 10 points, they had the chance to kick the field goal before going for the onside kick. Now, the Monday Night Football booth they reckon they, they must have wasted about 30 or 40 seconds. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Um, but, the, you know, marching down inside the two minutes, no timeouts. Their point was the second you get into field goal range, kick that field goal, go onside kick, and then you can go all out for the touchdown. And I agree. I just thought it was a very strange piece of play calling that they took so long to actually kick the field goal, which they were forced into eventually. Um, that was a strange one. But Gordon, Ravens, Browns, and Lamar Jackson going down again. <laughs> The Ravens, you mentioned this last week, still have a winning record. We'll still make the playoffs. Do they have to now just sit Lamar Jackson for a week or two? So they, they probably are going to be forced to. So supposedly it's not a high ankle sprain, which means he in theory is not play this week. One, you're going up against right now the best team in the NFC. Two, even if Lamar's ankle is at 70%, you lose a significant part of what he's good at. You also risk the fact that he gets hurt and is done for the season at that point. Don't risk a re-injury. The Ravens' season now comes down to two games. Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. If they win those, they win the division. Everyone else in the AFC North plays tough opponents as well. Win those two games and they'll go to the playoffs. What I, Two takeaways I had from this game. It's the thing I spoke about before. The Ravens are a very well-run team because they were able to compete in that game despite the fact that they are fielding like a pre-season final week roster at this point the Cleveland Browns are in serious trouble at this point. There's no way that game, they were up 17-0 and the Ravens lost Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley, it took him two quarters to settle in that game. There's no way the Browns should have let that game be a, a two-point Ravens driving at the end trying to get into field goal range game. Baker Mayfield doesn't offer enough for them to be a threat this season, I don't think. And they're, they've now been hit by, I think, eight COVID. Yeah. Um, Players They're not the only team as well. Yeah. COVID is ravaging the league this week. And the Browns play on Saturday against the Raiders. So, And they, mm. they realistically need to win two out of four as well. I, I've got a hard time seeing the Browns winning that division. I can see the Browns beating the Raiders because the Raiders have fallen off a cliff. Um, but you, 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 you were right when you said that Baltimore's season rests on the two AFC games. This was the, this was the thing about the run-in. And you look at some of the divisions. The, I think the NFC East is another one. It's just divisional games the whole way for the last four weeks. So if you're going to... It, some, sometimes I think you can look at the schedule and you think, right, if I'm going to drop a game, which games are going to be? 
Well, I'd rather was dropping a game against a team from the NFC because it's not going to matter as much in tie-breaking situations as well. Um, Packer, Packers and the Rams don't really care. I mean, they, I, I I was talking to someone about this on Sunday. Um, we're at the point where the Ravens have lost so many players. They're not they're not going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not I'm not trying to be negative with that. It's just we're being realistic. So I'm at the point now where I just want a bit of banter on Sundays through the end of the season. See, they're, the thing is, I definitely going one and done in the playoffs because they just don't have the horse. I don't know I, because this is the problem with the AFC. And you, you, in fact, just before I mention the AFC, you look at the NFL right now. There's four weeks left. Every team's had a bye, and there is a three-way tie at the top of the AFC and the NFC. That's the first time it's ever happened in like 51 years. The parity is unbelievable. So there's the, the top six teams are all within a game across the league. There is some. There's five or four or five teams at seven and six in the AFC, and the same number in the NFC. The, the Seahawks are one game out of a playoff place, and they're the eleventh team in the NFC. There's never been that much parity before as there is just now, and just because there are injuries. If you have a well-run team, which they have always been, Baltimore, there's injuries all over the league. There's COVID popping up all over the place at the moment. It's a total lottery. And I would say you got to get into the tournament. And then after that, you roll the dice. And if you've got home field advantage for one of the games, if you win a division, even better. I wouldn't, especially in the AFC, I think Kansas City are now, now look like a strong favourite. Having said that, if they get knocked off by the, um, the Chargers on Thursday night, the Chargers are top of that division. And then it's a totally wide open conference. Absolutely, completely wide open conference. New England have got to where they are by being functional around the things that they can do, but they are not going to blow anybody out of the water. And beyond, the only team that's going to blow teams away is Kansas City. And we've seen that they've got flaws. I think the AFC is absolutely open for a team that can go on a run. A hard time seeing the Ravens slow down the Chiefs with their cornerback mm. injuries now. That's where, so if you if you paint me a scenario whereby the Ravens win the AFC, it involves Kansas City slipping up against New England or Buffalo. So mm. let's say Kansas City don't win that division. They slip up against one of those teams in the first round of the playoffs to go out. At that point, like I could see the Ravens beating the, the Titans. They've already beat the Chargers, but I think at this point in the season, again, injuries-wise, it'd be tricky. Just, I've got very little faith at all they could hold up against the Chiefs or the, or the Bills at this point. Just to finish on the Raiders, the Raiders obviously got thumped by Kansas City. Uh, Gavin Newlands, one of our listeners, uh, was a little bit distraught um, at the way his Raiders were playing and fully understandable. I did send him a message to say it wouldn't surprise me if they lost points at the halftime interval. They were playing that badly, but they did manage to avoid doing that. I was also going to suggest that the head coach, rather than do a press conference, simply sent his thoughts in an email to the Washington football team and just get them to leak that. But I'm not sure that was going to happen. But I, I, that's certainly what I would have done. I, I loved the fact that the entire team huddled around the Kansas City logo at the start of the game. Oh, oh man. 48 to 9. That, that will be coming up, I suspect, in our ball bag, our, our ball bag nominations. <laughs> you know, do you not remember Sorry. though that was it last year, the year before they drove the bus around Arrowhead at least once, if not twice, after they won? So yeah, it was John, John Gruden. Did John that. Gruden yeah, demanded yeah. that the bus go around the go around <laughs> the stadium. So I, I don't know whether they thought that this was a kind of the sequel to that, but 
obviously it blew up in their faces. So yeah, asking for well, trouble. It, well, it didn't, and, and they will get a they will get a a wee, a wee honourable mention as well. Right, let's have a look at some of these Belter nominations. The Loman Belter nomination: uh, Cameron Christie and Kenny Law. Say Aaron Rodgers still owns the Bears. And superb performance in the nine toed goat, which I thought was quite a decent line. George Jackson says Alvin Kamara, just back from injury, rushes 120 yards and a touchdown. Another record broken. The lad is a machine. He says also Demarius Thomas, great player, great career. Some things are just bigger than the game. I would agree with that. And, you know, just touching on that, the Broncos and the Lions get a, a, a mention. Every starter for the tribute to Demarius Thomas at the start of the game, a touch of class. And it certainly appeared to be when they decided to take the field with 10 men and then the, the Lions declined the penalty. Thanks to Paul O'Shea for that one. Uh, Sarah Ross says, Richard Perriman, 58-yard game-winning touchdown for the Bucks. Ross Black, now this gets a Belter Award and not a ball bag award, and I like this. To the Dallas Cowboys, taking your own benches to another team's stadium, just to publicly remind people of just how entitled your organisation organization feels they are. Granted, FedEx Field is a tip, but come on. Now, it wasn't their benches. They, they got them in from Cleveland, yes. but it was a lovely and, and touch. It, and it is because FedEx is not a good stadium. The Seahawks yes. have told them from the week before the benches didn't stay warm the whole game. They didn't work properly. So they went and they got stuff ordered in from Cleveland. And yeah, I, and of course, I have no problem with shaming your hated division rival. I, I thought it was a I thought it was a brilliant move, Gordon. I genuinely thought it was an absolutely brilliant move. Get it, get it right on them. Uh, Dave and Brian Nando say Dalvin Cook play, played brilliantly, and what a performance coming back from injury. Johnny Bailey with another one for the Denver Broncos. So to Scott McKenzie, Patrick Watson said double overtime in the late window. That gives him, you know, his Belter nomination and salute to Scott Hansen. Now here come all the lovers of George Kittle. Sean Brain, James Whitson, and Stephen John. Not only did Kittle have a monster week, but that unreal catch in the dying seconds of the game allowed the 49ers to take the game to overtime and win the game. And James Whitson mentioned 13 catches for 151 yards of touchdown. First tight end in history with consecutive touchdown and 150-yard-plus games. He had his fourth 150-yard-plus game, trailing only Shannon Sharp in NFL history. The most entertaining player in the league at the moment. David Lowe says Hunter Renfrew had a great game for the Raiders, the one bright spot for a team that week after week fails to show any bright spots. That's probably fair. Uh, Josh Allen gets a couple. Looked like a blowout, but Allen put his team on his back and dragged us into the game. That's Shun Chalmers. Gary May, 300-plus passing yards, 100-plus rushing with a touchdown. Awesome stuff. Paddy Kelly and Alex Beaton and Sean Black all say Justin Herbert. Again, this kid shows MVP flashes. The 63-yard play to Gutner at the end of the first half was also one of the best throws of the season. Sean does basically say it was against the hapless Giants, but the first ever quarterback to throw 30 touchdowns in his first two seasons. That's some accomplishment. Mika Parsons gets a lot of love as well. Lauren Callahan, Ross Taylor and David Dryborough. Gordon, is he a potential Rookie of the Year, Mika Parsons? I, I think he's an absolute stick-on defensive Rookie mm. of the Year. I think the question now is, is he going to be the first defensive player since Lawrence Taylor to be defensive rookie and defensive player of the year? I think I probably would have him behind Miles Garrett, maybe Aaron Donald, but he's right up there. He's been, and for a guy who came into the NFL as a linebacker, and they've used him as a linebacker and a defensive end, and he's generating pressure at a rate beyond anyone else in the NFL, to the point now that they probably actually need to this offseason 
just stick him at defensive end full time. Yeah, it's interesting just to put him right there. Alex Candish, uh, my boy Blue Josh Allen for single-handedly carrying the expectations of a luckless sport following Fife resident. Yeah, well, that's just the way it goes, Alex. You've got to try and find a good team sometimes. Uh, Darren Bailey says, Steve Spagnuolo, whatever he's putting in the water at KC, it's working amazing defensive performance. He was very impressed with that. The Chiefs look a force to be reckoned with. Uh, Callum says, TB12, Tom Brady doing Tom Brady things in a tight oh, game. Boring. I, that's generous. Brady was not... And I, I am the number one card Brady lover for, for Brady MVP. Partly just to noise up Cameron, if I'm being perfectly honest. But he wasn't like he was fine this week. He was not anywhere near being a better. Well, if Brady, uh, wins, if Brady wins the MVP. It shows how the parity of the league and the fact that there's no outstanding players, and it'll just be a cop out of a vote. There we go. Well, Gallon's backed up by Christopher Loudon, Phil Spears, and Alistair Yule, who all agree that he was he was the belter this week. No. What? That's, no, that's not. Uh, uh, they all Patriots okay. fans, dear lord. No, no, no I've got, th- I've got three more to go. Uh, Rhys Nguyen says the NFC for making the Colts bye week a great one that saw us take a wild card slot. Uh, Ryan Johnson says the second quarter between the Bears and the Packers, forty-five points and fifteen minutes of football was highly impressive. This is the one I liked, and Charles, you touched upon this. Ross Sterling, the Kansas City PA system controller for playing the wheels on the bus over the tannoy after the Chiefs absolutely <laughs> embarrassed the Raiders. <laughs> which is which is a nice touch. Charles, you've been to many a sporting ground and these PA guys can sometimes oh. just capture the mood. Oh, there's I mean, there's some grounds that you go to and they've got it nailed on. They've got it stuck. Absolutely. They've, they've made their playlist the day before deliberately to either wind up the people who are going to be coming to the ground, who are their opponents, or just to have a pop at authorities, you name it. It's I, I, There's a football club that are no longer in the Scottish Premiership who were particularly good. Um, who I, won't, I don't want to name in case people are listening. But, um, the, <laughs> That's the idea of the podcast, Charles. Well, yes, I don't, want, I don't want to rub certain people up the wrong way who still have my <laughs> telephone number. But um, the, yeah, oh, that's, that's a superb, superb nomination. I have to say that there's two, in my view, that weren't mentioned there. Um, okay. I was watching back Monday Night Football earlier on and Cooper Cup, mm. and we've talked about him already this year, but he is single-handedly dragging that offence to the point whereby they can compete with the best in the league. He's unbelievably consistent. And it's not just the fact that he his reception numbers are huge. His yardage is terrific. This man can block as well. And I talk about how Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football. I think Cooper Cup is the equal of him now. And he was outstanding. Absolutely the outstanding. Catch, the catch on the... Right hand side of the end, mm. like way down low, was just it was a really good throw by Stafford as well. Yeah, Stafford, Stafford's taken a lot of heat in the last few weeks. Matthew Stafford is a good quarterback. Whether he's good enough to take LA to the Super Bowl, I have my doubts. I watched him in Detroit for the last decade, and he has he's streaky. He has a bunch of good games, and then he has a couple of shockers, and we've seen it again this year. I don't think he is anything that we didn't expect, but he is so fortunate to have a guy like Cooper Cup there, and Cooper Cup was fantastic. At the other end of the spectrum, and I'm not going to nominate Rodgers because there's no point, I'd like to nominate Rasul Douglas. Now, this guy has had two interceptions returned for touchdowns in the last two weeks, but he is on his one, two, three, four, his sixth team in 18 months. 
He was picked by Philadelphia in the draft in 2017. He got waived last September. He then went to Carolina. He was waived. He went to the he went to Vegas in April. He was released in August. He then went to Houston. He was released six days later. He then went to the Arizona practice squad and then Green Bay picked him up. I think we forget sometimes the human element in all of this. These guys are a bit getting paid a lot of money, but they're bouncing from team to team. The players that are on practice squads, they are essentially told, you're not good enough, but you need to hang around in, in the waiting room just in case you get an opportunity. Rasul Douglas got picked up by Green Bay because Jair Alexander went out injured. And he is now playing for his career and he's playing out his skin. And he's had three interceptions. He ended that game against Arizona a few weeks back um, and and knocked Arizona's uh, unbeaten record off the charts. He took one back from Matthew Stafford and he's now taken one back uh, in the game against Chicago. He's Whatever happens to to, to Green Bay this year, he's going to guarantee himself a job and probably has extended his career. And I think sometimes we don't see the human element, the stories behind a lot of these players. This is a guy who was on the scrap heap. His NFL career could have been over. He would have been thinking about, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Suddenly he's breathed life into his his occupation. And I think it's a fabulous story. He, he also, he should have never been cut by the teams that have cut him. The reason why, so he came into the NFL as a guy who's slow for a cornerback. Like timed speed is like a high four fives. Uh, was very good at West Virginia. The concern was in the NFL, he's going up against better athletes. And it, it's been the case in his career. Like he's not a top tier cornerback. Hmm. However, he is absolutely an NFL caliber cornerback who is your third or fourth guy uh, who can, when called upon, you might get some games like that out of him. He's capable of making plays on the ball. He's done that throughout his career. You know, there's no way other teams should have cut him to, to have him get there. It's, Having having a lot of defensive backs is very important. The Ravens are a great example of that issue because everyone's hurt. I would have loved if the Ravens coming out this season had Russell Douglas as their fifth cornerback as a guy you could I'm start now. I'm just wondering, Gordon. I mean, it, if he's not, it, it could depend on a couple of things. One of the things they say that makes the difference for these guys at that sort of fourth depth level is your ability and your willingness to, to play special teams and to do it well. That might be a flaw. I don't know. I don't know enough about it, the player, but that's one of the things that... It's, it's something I think the NFL are getting better at because where I think that is important is at your third linebacker spot and your fourth linebacker spot. The NFL passes the ball far too much these days for you to require your fifth cornerback to play special teams well. You can you can find that elsewhere in your roster. Good, good, good. Right, in terms of... Belters, who is going to get our Lock Lomond Belter of the week? Who did, did no one did no one nominate Jakeem Grant? I know I know the mm. Bears lost, but that was an incredible punt return, and he also had the long touchdown. The end around, yeah. I think if they win that game, he probably gets a good few nominations. Nope, there's no nominations for him at all. But you you've just called them, Charles. Oh, so many. There's no outstanding candidate this week, is there? It's Kittle. Yeah, Mr. C. Hobbs. You can't give it to Kittle because Cameron's not here. No, he's been in touch to insist because I asked him for uh, various things ahead of the podcast. And his wording to me was, and this is what I've got to read out, let's raise a dram to George Kittle. You are the Loch Lomond Belter of the Week. I'm going to argue. No, I I don't think we can. (laughs) Let's move on to to Bobag. Here we go. 
I'm go- I'm going to leave the one the one at the top. I want to leave till the end because I th- I I do like that. Alistair Yule says the Giants Giants lose again. We'll put that on a standing order for you if you want. That's not a problem. Phil Spears nominates himself. I just gave Brady a Belter nomination. I will wait to rock quietly in the corner of a darkened room and evaluate some of life's decisions. Uh, Christopher Loudon says the New York Jets. Another year of no players to the New York Jets. Can only hope things will get better soon for the demented fan base. Reese Nunes says the NFL scheduling team. And he says, I've learned two things about the folk who schedule the NFL. One, they have a sense of humour. And two, they don't give a flying mm, about the Bills' mental well-being. Imagine being schooled by the master last week when you thought the Pats were going to be down for a while, and then they send Brady down to ruin you the very next week. Bob Agger, comedy genius, is only a matter of perspective. You and Chalmers are very unimpressed with the rest. Every week, calls or no calls are affecting the outcome of the games. Well, that's a fair point. Robert Quinn gets a, a Bob Ag nomination. I'm all for shithousery and the general bamming up of opposition, but it's a time and a place when Robert Quinn got it badly wrong against the Packers by mimicking the Rogers belt celebration after sacking him on the first drive. Fair enough, he says, if that's the winning sack, but given the recent history, um, you feel and you look like a right twit. There's absolutely no doubt. However, he does say it will increase the smugness of Charles Patterson, which I'm sure everyone on the podcast will agree is the exact opposite of what we need. Charles, you have the right of reply. I totally agree on every level. Uh, he's absolutely bang on there. It was, it was, I think he picked up another sack as well. They played very well, but don't do that. You're just poking the bear, to excuse the pun. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Scott McKenzie agrees with you. Don't, don't do stuff like that. Ryan Johnson, the Cowboys. Now, this, this doesn't happen as often as it used to. The Cowboys got a, a Belter nomination. They get a Bob Ag nomination for the benches as well. I'm all for the benches being taken. Lauren Callahan says, Las Vegas Raiders, if you're going to hold your pregame hype meeting on the opponent's logo you'd better be ready to back it up with your play. Sadly, the Raiders did nothing to suggest they knew this golden rule. And even their kicker, fresh off signing a four-year extension for a kicker, missing an extra point in the game. Paddy Kelly goes a step further. The entire Raiders organisation, he just doesn't blame the players. He's going for the whole lot of them. Um, just says Mark Davis' time as owner is surely up and another year of clearing the decks will set the team back again if he could even be set back from being shite. Uh, James Whitson backs him up, Ross Sterling as well, all about the logo. You're absolutely right. As David Love says, whichever Raider thought stomping on the Chiefs logo was a good idea. Um, now, I'm going to come to the, the two that I would like to say because I think we, we, we touched on one of these a little bit earlier. One is Chase Claypool. Now, this comes from Sean Breen, Johnny Bailey, and Cameron Crew. Uh, Sean Bean and Johnny Bailey, a big bird. Don't think he'd be anywhere else. Not only did he celebrate a first down while his team were A, losing, and B, needing every second to try and get a score, he then tried to blame it on his mates. What a douche. Johnny Bailey says, the ball bag's ball bag this week. After the Steelers' latest game of waking up in the fourth quarter, Claypool celebrating a first down instead of rushing back to line to spite the ball, cost his team another play. His explanation afterwards, equally embarrassing. What a ball bag. Gordon, I'll give you the this, chance on this, this one. This is where I really draw the line, because I told Johnny Bailey last week I was sick fed up of the fact that you guys have turned me into a Steelers apologist on this podcast. And now <laughs> he's gone and done it as well. 
Look, there's a lot of things you can blame Chase Claypool for. When he does the celebration, watch watch the celebration. He is at the exact spot where the referee is going to spot the ball. He does his little point. He turns to go and hand the referee the ball. The referee's not there yet. At this point, he has not cost anyone any time. Eric Kendricks from the Vikings very smartly says, I'm going to knock that ball out of your hand, and I'm just going to slow this up and delay a bit of time here. Claypool didn't actually slow time down. People just have this weird thing against players celebrating in the NFL. And it's a really bizarre... Like, don't get me wrong, there's things Claypool said this year about wanting music at practice that I think are way more Bob Aggery related than this. I think people made a way bigger deal out of this than was necessary. Have you seen what Mike Tomlin said about this? No. So Tomlin has um, spoken today and he said, obviously Claypool, he's had a misstep in that area. He had missteps in other areas as well. He's a young guy that's growing and developing. In a lot of ways, that cannot happen fast enough for him and it can't happen fast enough for us. He's basically saying that the player's immature. Now, my question is, first of all, why would you be celebrating a first down anyway? Let's be honest. But secondly, I don't think when you're a professional and you're 21, 22, you cannot be excused, oh, youth as a factor. It's not. You're getting paid a lot of money to do a job that, okay, it's the entertainment industry, but be professional about it. Don't the Steelers, be the Steelers quit. have The Steelers have quite an interest in... Uh, like split in the roster. They've got quite a lot of very young players and quite a lot of very old players, whereas there's a lot of teams in the NFL that have kind of a mix of everything. They've got... Tomlin's young for a head coach still, even though he's been around for a while, but he is very old school in his ways. Ben Roethlisberger is, you know, OEP age at this point in time. Cameron Hayward, another old guy. But then they've got guys like Claypool. They've got guys like... Uh, Juju, they've got guys like Devin Bush and Najee Harris who are young and who like doing things a little bit differently. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Steelers, who've been a very good organization throughout the years in the NFL, handle that because there probably is more tension coming there over the end of this season, possibly into next. And it's something that I think Mike Tomlin's a good enough head coach to get right, but it's definitely something he's going to have to manage. But Najee Harris scores a touchdown and he's not farting around like... Look at me. I'm the Instagram show pony. No, oh, but like, wide, like Juju wide does. Wide receivers, though. Like, how many oh. wide receivers in the NFL do not every single first down point and celebrate? There's like maybe three. They all do it. It's just the, it's the, the thing before I said, there's like a great tweet from someone, which is tweets from position players. And it's the quarterback praises God. The running back talks about grinding. The offensive line talks about something else. And the wide receiver says something about like it is the dullest knife that causes the toughest injury because all wide receivers are just a little bit mad well it's the old story how many wide receivers does it take to change a light bulb well as many as you like because they'll just stand there pointing at it expecting somebody else to do all the work (laughs) (laughs) so that's basically how that goes Uh, right let's go to the guy who's going to win the what what, well I'm Presuming it's going to win this one. So because we have got a slew of people all calling out Urban Meyer. So <laughs> Gary May, Alex Candlish, Paul O'Shea, Alex Beaton, Ross Taylor, Stephen John, David Driver, George Jackson, Darren Barry, Sean Black, Kenny Law, Ross Black, uh, Callum, Brian Dando, Dave, all talk about the Jags. Uh, we've had one in from Florida from a Mrs. U. Meyer as well calling him out as well so now i'm gonna i'm gonna pick out some of these 
and then, but I'm going to start with this one. Now, I, it'll be interesting to get your guys' takes. Ross Taylor says this. The handshake at the end of the game, the arrogance of a man who is delivering nothing to a team who went all out for him. Not sure if this was this week, but there was an interview I heard where he talked about he'd never been in this position. He wasn't used to losing. He does know he's failed in the NFL so far. That was one of the worst handshakes to an opposing coach I have ever seen. I mean, he basically, I mean, if there was eye contact, it was milliseconds. If there was contact to the hands, it was minimal. Man up, you've lost. And you're knowing you're losing the game. You're, you're getting beat 20-0. It's not a, you know, it's not a close game that you've lost and you're, you're gutted by it. Man up and at least shake the other guy's hand. Do you know what makes that worse? Mike Vrabel was on his staff at Ohio State when he was the head coach there. Yeah, that that is a that is that handshake is a man just checked out. It's it's yeah. spectacular failure, and the problem I think ever since he got busted in that bar, it's been downhill from there. And that was the point where he realised that he was going to be scrutinised to the nth degree, and he couldn't just have it. It wasn't his way or the highway anymore. It was the, the week as well that came out this week. So the week was that. He basically spent time screaming at his coaches, hmm. asking them, like, who among them is actually a winner? Who's actually won anything anywhere? Daryl Bevel's won a Super Bowl. And then when asked about this and asked about things this week, Urban Meyer basically said, if anyone's a leak, he's going to fire them. Well, I think there's a few leaks at this point, and that ultimately stems from poor leadership. You just, just, yeah. we, we, we were talking about Tomlin there. We've talked about... Um, John Harbaugh these are guys that have been in their job a long time for a reason they are great great coaches they're leaders and they're decent human beings now Urban Meyer might be a great coach but nothing that we've seen this year would suggest that but he's clearly not a leader and he's also we've already already seen he's clearly not that decent a human being so those are the three things that you need in order to have continuity and everyone pulling in the same direction and ultimately a successful team on the pitch. He's got none of it. So it's a no-brainer to get rid of him and to make the change. And they got to I can't believe that the Can family have not decided already. This is do you know what? Let's just end the embarrassment now. I I would do it now. I would do it and I would put Bevel in there as the head coach for the rest of the I'd just someone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think that I think the people above the head coach have to do something to win back trust from the players and the other coaches. Right. The, the the danger is that you'll the the franchise will become to to pardon the the the, the pun disenfranchised from the fan base if this continues because you've got the number one pick who's meant to be this transcendent talent at quarterback. What the hell's he thinking at the moment? Well, exactly. But the, the other thing I would do, and I, I agree with what you're saying there, Gordon, is not only would I I give. Bevel, the coaching job, but I would announce him as a Super Bowl winning coach taking over the Jags, just, just to rub it in. Charles, let me just push back on something Something you said. You, you, need to, you need to be a good coach, you need to be a leader, and you need to be a good human being. Now, I'm sure there's many players from Ohio State would step forward and say that Urban Meyer is a very decent human being. Hmm. However, one of the things, I think it's easy to be to be good when you win. I think most people know that. I think it's what you do in defeat that often tells you. And then people will count and say, well, you know, winners don't lose and all this sort of nonsense, which is which is complete trash. If you take the, you know, the reactions, say Sean Payton a couple of years ago when he was interviewed after the, the no play call 
you know, the pass interference call. He could not have been any more diplomatic if he tried. He wasn't out there ranting and raving and, and, and going nuts and things like that. Something has to go through the head of Urban Meyer that you're standing on the sidelines, you're getting beat 20 to nil. You've almost got to say to yourself in that mental way, I'm going to walk out there, I'm going to shake the guy's hand, I'm going to pat him on the back, then I'm going to piss off this field and not talk to anybody for as long as I possibly can. But we've all been in sporting situations, be it in, in different things, be it cricket, football, rugby, where you know you don't feel particularly great and it's exceptionally difficult. And I was rotten at it as a kid, but I came to learn that you've actually just got to reach out your hand and shake your opponent's hand and get the hell out of there. I think that was... A, so the other thing that, that, you know, so talk about everyone fighting internally off the field and on the field, the Jags don't put up any fight. That's David Dreiber. George Jackson, the team doesn't want to play from every week. He's finding someone else to blame. Darren Barry, another Jag shutout, looks out of his depth, just stands on the sidelines looking like a ball bag. Um, you know, Kenny Law says... To be honest, I don't think the explanation is required. Paul O'Shea is the same. Urban Meyer might be a decent human being to those that he knows and likes, but you've actually got to be bigger than that. And you've got mm. to, you know, you've got to you've got to be a better human being. And we've seen that with some coaches. You know, you can tell they're almost in agony, but they're still going up and shaking people's hands and, and things like that. Well, you, you talk about accepting sometimes that the fates are against you and dealing with it in a dignified manner. I mean, look at I don't know any of our listeners um, are F- F1 fans at all, but you look what happened at the weekend with Lewis Hamilton and Jos Verstappen, uh, Max Verstappen even, I should say. Yeah. And rightly or wrongly, Verstappen won the title, the world title, based on officiating and stewards' decision-making, which confounded me, and I'm not even going to start to look and work out who was right and who was wrong. But we forget sometimes this is sport. This is entertainment. These guys are privileged and get paid a lot of money to entertain. It is not life or death. And Lewis Hamilton's won seven world titles. He would have loved to have won an eighth, but he took it with good grace. Ultimately, he'll be extremely disappointed and probably privately, he thinks he was robbed. But he's a class act in the fact that he can handle the disappointment and congratulate the guy who's beaten him. Now, that's a simple thing to do because when I say a good human being, you're setting an example for the young fans out there. I've got I've got a seven-year-old who's a Jacksonville Jaguars fan for his sins. And he says to me every week, are the Jaguars winning? I went, no, what do you think? No, they're losing again. And I, lo- I would love it maybe next year or the year after for me to turn around and say to him, by the way, your team won this week. And that I didn't as doesn't seem remotely possible with Urban Meyer as the head coach. There's nothing if you're a Jags fan and you're a devotee to be remotely excited about at the moment. And that is a sad situation. Every franchise, because of the parity you have in the league, there should be something that you can grasp onto. And I don't see anything that Jacksonville can grasp onto at all. Yeah, I mean, God, I mean, it is very, very interesting that. You know, I mean, Charles, I was a bad loser as a kid playing sport, and I think kids go through that. But Urban Meyer is a grown man. He's seen enough. Uh, and I think, I, I mentioned it already, I'm going to mention it again. He knows he's losing that game. Suck it up. Yeah. You know, you know the cameras are on you. You know, if for, even if you fake it, you know, walk out, stretch out your hand. Now, it's different if the coaches hate each other, but Gordon mentioned it. They were on the same staff together. 
you know, it's just it's not, just not classy. It's not it's, classy it's, at all. It's not classy. I mean, we do you do get the coaches running on and and barely looking at each other, you know, and you know they might just say a word or two. But yeah, I think that that's certainly the worst. So I think we can agree. Oh, um, he's absolutely. Yeah. There's no. There's not even any debate. And actually, do you know what? He won the ball bag nomination earlier on in the season. If it wasn't for Bargate, it was for something else. So he's streaking ahead. In fact, he's threatening. I think Antonio Brown to have this award named after him. He certainly is. So our ball bags, ball back of the week is Urban Meyer. Right, couple of numbers from you between 101 and 134, Charles. Let's see who's going to get our Loch Lomond. 101, did you say? 101 to 134, just the way I've I've done it. Uh, All right, okay. Um, Gosh, 129. 129, now I've got, because they're not in order. Uh, Sarah Ross. Uh, has won our whiskey uh, for nominating Brishad Perriman, Sarah Ross. Well done to you for that. So if we exclude number 29, 129 from that, 101 to 134, Mr. McGuinness for our Bob Ag. Let's go 100 and the number I hope does not ruin my Sunday, 12. 112. <laughs> 112. Let's have a look to see how Cameron has actually put these together. That will go to David Dreiber, uh, who did nominate Urban Meyer. So right. there we go. There we go. Right, gentlemen, let's have a, a little quick look at it. Still need you to answer who would you have play you in a movie? And more importantly, who would you have playing Cameron in a movie? We'll finish off with that. Let's have a little look to the games coming up in week 15. Thursday night football, Chiefs Chargers. I don't really know if we've got to say too much about that. It's an absolute belter in the making, isn't it? I I just hope. Here's my worry for that game. Yep. The Chargers are going to play conservatively because they think they can keep the Chiefs, keep keep it close and try and beat the Chiefs at the end. What I Mm. want the Chargers to do is just unleash Justin Herbert. Bombs away. Oh, the Mm. throw he had against the Giants is one of the most ridiculous throws I've seen an NFL quarterback make. Just let them do that. Let yeah. them do that 60% of the time. I think the, pro- the problem that they're going to have with the Chargers is giving them the time to do it because the offensive line is a wee bit COVID hit and it's never been brilliant. And the Chiefs, the reason that this defence has suddenly hit its stride in the last five or six weeks is they're just blitzing like hell. And if you're throwing six, seven defenders and just putting your cornerbacks and safeties on an island, sooner or later you're going to get home. And actually, I think that you're right. The best way for the Chargers to attack that might just be to go to go long. Um, or otherwise, there's going to be a lot of dump offs to Austin Austin Eckler all night. I think they can they can definitely definitely beat Kansas City, especially in their own stadium. And if they do, they've got the tiebreaker. So. It's a big one. This is this this will determine whether or not the Chargers are potentially um, championship game material. This game, yeah, I'd love to see them go for it. I really, really would. Saturday features well something very special on Saturday that we we don't see very often. It has to be said. Well, one, it's my birthday. Happy birthday to me for Saturday, and the other is we get two NFL games because there's no college football on. And there's no Army-Navy game on. So we get the Raiders at the Browns. And we get what I think is a real tasty game, the Patriots at the Colts. I wouldn't ask which one you were watching, because if you selected Raiders-Browns, I'd be 
I think I just cut you well, off here un- and there. Unfortunately, it's the 9.30 game, so that's the one ah. I will watch live. And I will watch Patriots Colts with a cup of coffee in 40 minutes in the morning, which is a shame because that is the game that you want to watch out of those. And this I, is the... Yeah. I, the Patriots are trying to win the Super Bowl playing Smash Mouth football. And they're going up against the Colts, who are trying to do the exact same thing. That game's going to be over in about an hour and 45 minutes. It's just going to yeah. be run, 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 run the whole way. <laughs> It'll be, be utterly, utterly brilliant, won't it? I, I, think they, I, think they, I think the Colts have got a little bit, they're a bit more rounded than New England. New England's defence is excellent. Um, they're running the ball. I just, if it comes to the bit and someone's got to make a throw, who would, it, who would you put your house on? Would you put it on Carson Vance or, and his receivers or would you put it on... Mac Jones and his receivers. It's a difficult Jones. one. I think Jones has been really good. And I think he's not been asked to do anything, though. That's the but thing. That's so even if you're saying, like, if he has to make a throw at the end, I think Belichick probably has him in a situation whereby there's a throw there to be made. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a fascinating game. Before we come to the biggest game of the weekend, let's just kick out the, the Sunday night football and Monday night football. There's a narrative there for uh, Monday night football. The Vikings need to win at the Bears. It's not the best Monday night game, but it's probably... Um, I've mentioned this before. You've got to pick them so far in advance. That looks like a bad one. I'm slightly surprised um, that Saints-Bucks wasn't flexed out of prime time on Sunday night. I, I know you're only allowed to flex out a certain number, but that doesn't look too good in itself. But the game of the weekend, Green Bay at the Ravens. Now, we are going to have this in our pick six. I'm fairly certain of that. So it just, you know, are you going to be a ball bag and pick against your own team? That's one of the questions. Or do a Cameron, as we call it on the podcast. How do you see this one going? Charles, you're the one doing the travelling. Green Bay at the Ravens. Confident? Um, yes. I, I will be more confident if Lamar doesn't play because he has the you know the ability to produce rabbits out of hats, but he's not been playing really that very that well to to suggest that he's going to do that. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is, is these two teams are riddled by injuries, but it's the team that is being able to deal with the injuries better that's going to win the game. And Green Bay's offensive line is unrecognisable. However, the last three games, Rodgers has played his best three games of the year with a bum, bum toe. And he's got no protection on paper, and yet he's getting the ball out quick. He's got two running backs who are pretty much fully fit and functioning and flying. And he's got Devontae Adams. And... The, 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 the beauty of the offense in Green Bay is that Matt LaFleur always finds a way to get Devontae Adams open. In the first half, he didn't really have a, a sniff against the Bears. So the first you know, 20, 25 minutes, um, Jalen Johnson was covering Adams and Adams had one catch in the first 25 minutes. Suddenly, he's moving around. He's in the slot. He's doing an end around. He ends up with 125 yards and two touchdowns. So at some point he's going to get the ball and at some point he's going to do damage. And if Baltimore have no cornerbacks, I can't see how they're going to be able to keep up with Green Bay. And that defense is pretty solid. Um, it has, you know, conceded 30 points. Ultimately, it comes down to if Lamar's fit. If Lamar's fit, there's a good, it could be a really good game. It'll be a shame if he's not playing because it'll detract from the game my view on it but I would be confident that they can go and get a win there 
I am not remotely confident, and I will almost definitely be doing a Cameron, um, even if Lamar is fit, because he hasn't been good this season. Uh, like, well, he hasn't been good since the Colts game. So the reality is, if I if I said the names Anthony Averett and Chris Westry to you, uh, those are the two players who are going to be tasked with covering Devontae Adams, realistically probably one-on-one numerous times in this game. I think they served me when I was at Arby's last time in the States. <laughs> the, the Ravens in this game might need to score 40 points because if the Packers mm. need to, I think they've probably got that in them because it's Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams against players who were the Ravens' fourth and fifth string cornerbacks coming into the year. Um, it's it's just it's a big, tough ask. And if if there's any doubt that Lamar Jackson is not, Hundred percent. I probably would rest him, and I would focus on Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Yeah, I agree. I would certainly. I'd just keep him out of the game. I, I will tell you this though: it's not a must I, one. As much as I am not confident, the last time the Ravens and the Packers played, the Packers didn't score a single point. And if the Packers have to go up against Tyler Huntley, this is the same organization that once gave up forty-eight points. To Kyle Bowler in Baltimore. So maybe maybe history repeats itself. Maybe maybe Tyler Huntley, Huntley puts up fifty. I have to be honest, I don't even remember that game. <laughs> it was like two thousand and seven. It, it was a long time ago. So Peak it, Favre. <laughs> it was it was I think Aaron Rodgers played like late in the game, but it was Favre's final season as a starter, maybe. Yeah. It's one of those I mean, it's one of these interconference games, of course, that doesn't happen very often. So there's that that intrigue and quirk about it. Um but in the grand scheme of things, it means more than this game to Green Bay because they're now in the number one seed. And if they win out, then they can play every game at Lambeau until the Super Bowl, assuming that they get there. So they have to win um, if they want that number one seed because I, I'm, a, I'm concerned now that Tampa are on a run to the point whereby they could win out. And if, uh, if, they, if Green Bay drop a game, then then you don't want to be having to go down to Florida because we know that Rogers can't play in Florida. <laughs> I do want, well, provided it's not the Ravens that go to the Super Bowl from the AFC, which I don't think it will be, I do want Green Bay, Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship game again. Yeah, I do too. It's just going to be a little bit spicy. Rogers, Brady, last year, everything going against it. I'd, I'd be a fan of that. Yeah, that as long as Kevin not for that. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Green Bay Packers versus Baltimore Ravens. The the over-under at the moment in terms of the spread, 4.5 points is all that's been given up. I would have thought it would have been a little bit wider, uh, but that's where it goes in terms of betting. Uh, the over-under on 43.5 points being scored, the over on 85%. Gentlemen, any other NFL stories catch your eye before we leave the building? I think we probably need to talk about the fact that COVID is very much rearing its ugly head in the NFL and the NFL probably has to start going back to the protocol they had in place last year. Um, the thing that people need to remember is I've seen loads of people saying like, how come the COVID situation in the NFL is worse this year than it was last year? Last year, everything was shut down and there was like severe mitigations in place. Most stadiums didn't have fans, all that stuff. Everything's up and running now and you know having been in america recently and even around about here as much as we've got restrictions 
things are relatively normal. You can do most of the things you were able to do. So that's why these things are happening now. And the NFL really needs to get a handle on it quickly because we saw 37 yesterday. And I think that must be pushing about 20 today, including eight from the Browns. So- yeah, and Beckham, who played last night, um, scored a touchdown. He's he's contracted it. So he, you know, he was running around in the field, possibly infecting half of his staff um, and his teammates sitting on the sidelines. So not good. Yeah. For I, I think we're we're going to see this develop. I think I think like Gordon, I think there's going to be some mitigation coming, uh, but I also think they're going to have a look at this and see what it's going to mean year on year, uh, because COVID ain't going away. Um, so be what, what we did say though at the start of the season, in fact, we said this last year, is that the teams that have got a plan to deal with it, the teams that can be most flexible, who've got good backups, who are able to manage the situation they will be the ones that ultimately can come out at the end of this more or less unscathed. You cannot do anything if your quarterback catches COVID and you don't have a a supplementary backup, as we saw in Green Bay earlier on in the year. Baltimore are lucky they've got a guy who looks like a very good quarterback. He's a very good backup. There's a few teams that have got excellent oh, I, backups. I thought I thought you meant we should be glad we've got Lamar Jackson who's caught it twice, so it's unlikely. <laughs> well, no, actually, if you've had it, yeah, exactly. If you've got a court, if you have a quarterback who has had it recently, then you might be laughing all the way into January. But the teams that are able to adapt to it will be the ones that are that, that are prospering at the end of it. The ones who who don't have a backup plan or a plan B. Good luck. But, but the problem also comes, it's no longer necessarily about whether you're vaccinated or not. We know that being vaccinated doesn't stop you from getting it. Uh, and that's going to be the ongoing issue, I think, for the NFL is how they actually deal with people going forward like that. Gentlemen, before we leave, we mentioned Aaron Rodgers had his doppelganger in the stadium at the weekend. Who would play you in a movie and who would play Cameron in a movie is our final question for the evening. So you've got a chance to nominate somebody for yourself and then somebody for Cameron. Let's start with Charles, who would be the lucky individual that would play you in a movie. Mm, Dear, this is asking for trouble. Someone suggested I look like David Tennant once. I'm not entirely sure I agree with him. I can see that I yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. I, th- I think <laughs> David about Tennant... about half a foot smaller than me. <laughs> yeah, but we'd put risers in, you know, and, and you know, we, we'd make that work. Yeah, I, I quite like that. Gordon, who would you nominate for yourself? I'm not going to nominate this. I'm going to sadly tell you the person I used to be nicknamed back in my days when I worked in uh, Tesco. Uh, camera might need to beep some of this out. I was referred to as Briefcase Wanker after Will from the Inbetweeners. I worked in Tesco. Uh, And to this day, my old colleagues do still call me Briefcase. Probably would need to be him, sadly. Simon Bird or something like that might be his name. Simon something. You, you do know that everybody that listens to this podcast will be Googling that afterwards. <laughs> that, that's for sure. That, that is utterly brilliant. Right. What about uh, Cameron? Who, who are we going to nominate to play Cameron well, in the NFL he nominated in the movie? Before we proceed, I think we should uh, clarify that he nominated himself to be uh, represented by Richard Gere um, on our WhatsApp group, to which there has been uh, an outpouring of ridicule I was thinking, I don't know, 
John if, Belushi if Cam- with a, John Belushi with an extra long beard. <laughs> if if Cameron thinks Richard Gere's going to be playing him, he needs to get a new mirror in the house. You know that that's all I'm saying. I mean, he, he's a handsome man, is Cameron, but it, it, he's not quite Richard Gere's. Not the first first name that comes to mind when I think of that. People listening, you, you can send us a note uh, with your nominations next week. Who you might, who you might want to play you in a movie or play one of us in a movie. Uh, for myself, I'm going with Kiefer Sutherland. Um, that will do for me. Rugged, <laughs> handsome, good-looking, perfect. Um, so that that's who I'll take. He's not overly tall as well, which which works for me as well. Is this, is this Kiefer Sutherland after a, a really hard day at twenty twenty four? Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm currently on season, season five of 24 at the moment. Or Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, I'm slightly taller than him, but I'm sure we could get... Tom Cruise actually is probably closer for you than... Yeah. To, to be fair, that's the one that I normally get. I've just been watching 24 and quite like Kiefer Sutherland. I love his growly, gravelly voice. So there we go. <laughs> uh, the NFL Scotland podcast, boldly going where very few dare to go. To Charles and Gordon, thank you for joining me this evening on the NFL Scotland podcast, episode 174, to celebrate our 175th podcast, which will be next week. Our special guest will be Cameron Hobbs. We look forward to having him with us here on the podcast. Hope you enjoy your week 15 football. Remember, Thursday night football, Saturday night football, and all the football you could want on Sunday and Monday as well. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. 